Welcome to today's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Today, Ono and I have decided to do a little bit more of an unstructured conversation. We're going to start our discussions from this notion of what if there was no data? How would we market to people? So yeah, today I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept of how do you do marketing if you don't have access to data? And with the rise of all these like privacy first tools and people becoming more aware how advertisers are abusing their private data. And there are marketplaces dedicated to buying and trading and bidding on other people's data. And in a world where you want to practice, for lack of a better word, more ethical marketing, how do you do that? Because most of the marketing, modern marketing conversation seems to revolve around programmatic media buys and retargeting on social media. I think this is going to be pretty relevant soon, potentially, because, for example, this announcement, the third-party cookies are going to end in 2022. I honestly think we're going to you know, see a place for good old-fashioned marketing again, which is you know, humans' reliance on good stories, humans' reliance on things that they're actually passionate about and things that align to their values. And maybe that could actually mean then less accurate targeting, for example, and just more, um, you know, good old region frequency type advertising that knowingly is just not going to entertain or, or hit everybody that it reaches. But those that it does, it really strikes a different chord. I like your optimism that advertising is going to get or stories are going to get better, which I highly doubt. And on the topic of better targeting, what have marketers been doing in the past 10, 15 years where we supposedly have better targeting, I still get completely irrelevant ads on social media or Google or Twitter or any of these platforms. Well, I do too, but I actually attribute it to the industry that I'm in <laughs> because <laughs> where, you know, when one day you work on a credit card brand, the next day you work on a car brand and the next day after that, you may be working on toothpaste or whatever that may be. And it's not always the the things that I might actually be passionate about. So the, I bet you the uh, data pools that we are in are slightly unusual <laughs> for, from a behavior perspective. That's one explanation. <laughs> I used to be big on personalization and being able to target to individual people. But as time goes by, I think this concept of personalization is overrated because people are not so unique in the first place. I mean, we all get influenced by other people around us. And we all exhibit more or less similar behaviors and our preferences. We want to be slightly different, but not too different. So in that sense, it almost defies the point of extreme targeting in the first place, because people are going to be influenced by what their friends and their acquaintances are doing in the first place, right? So do we really need this level of surveillance marketing, so to speak? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, if you have bad advertising or bad marketing, better targeted, that's exactly what it is. It's just better targeted, bad advertising or bad marketing. And I think we often talk about this notion of programmatic creativity. And I like that, actually, that notion a lot because it refers to using targeting and using the different aspects of programmatic ad buying, basically, and adding a layer of creativity on top. So it's not the targeting itself that matters. It's actually what you do with it and the messages that you serve and really using the both aspects of the, the spectrum, which is the actual targeting options and the creative options. So I'm not talking about it just 
you know, here's a thousand different banner ads with different background image, like properly figuring out here is a person that is, you know, interested in a Disney cruise somewhere and they've dropped out of the shopping cart. Is there a super interesting Disney magical way for us to tell a story that might get them back and get them buying? Like that type of programmatic creativity, I think plays a role still, but how would you do things like that if you didn't have any data about people? I think that would be quite difficult to do. I mean, I see in theory, I get the argument that you could, for example, for products that have long conservation cycles, you could use technology to target to people who are at different stages in their consideration journey. Like if I'm in the market to buy a car, me doing the research about different types of car versus figuring out what colors I want for the exterior for the brand that I picked versus figuring out which dealer to buy it from or whether to buy it online. Arguably, there's a case to be made to show different messages. But again, I think that's overrated because... First of all, I haven't seen any great examples of doing this. I have yet to receive ads that I think like, oh, this comes at such a great time that now I want to click on this banner ad. Secondly, even if that's the case, it feels creepy. So I think the more successful ads would make it look less targeted than it actually is to be successful, ironically. And thirdly, in the absence of investing in any of this technology, you could still grow your business by being really good at brand advertising and making me want that car in the first place and having just a really good online experience, which allows me to go and browse your products and figure out what I really want to buy and make that journey easy for me. And I don't see where really super targeted specific advertising that relies on my personal data plays a role in any of this. Well, I think you hit on something really interesting here, which is that for a very long time, a lot of the sort of data usage and a lot of the programmatic type stuff has always actually focused a lot on the acquisition part of the equation. I've for a long time actually been a huge fan of brands and companies actually investing in the experience you get, well, whether it's the buying experience or the even more importantly, the post-purchase experience, because a lot of the disappointing moments that people have with brands and products actually happen either right after the purchase or during first use. So using data that people choose to share with you, which is I've bought this product now, this is exactly what product I have and here's how I'm using it. So the brands can actually better guide them through, okay, here's the perfect way to use this particular product, whether it's a car or a technology piece of technology. I mean, I totally understand that there are certain categories like toothpaste where maybe this is not as relevant, but there are also a lot of a lot of categories where after you bought something is really when I think the interesting moments uh, would happen. And investing a lot more in those types of experiences and content and how-tos and tutorials and guiding people on how to best get the value from the products they've just bought is very likely going to be the best way to keep more loyal customers with your brand for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting point. You are talking about onboarding or even retention investment in marketing rather than acquisition. And I'm going to be a little bit cynical here. And maybe one of the reasons why people don't invest as much as in the post-purchase experience compared to the initial acquisition is because it's much more difficult to demonstrate the value of having kept someone as a customer or that they are happier as a result compared to showing yet another person sign up on your app. 
Yeah. I mean, think about it. You could pay Google to show an ad. And if somebody was already in the market, you could easily attribute that ad back to your purchase. But if you've done a fantastic job of onboarding your customers or preventing someone from churning, then it's a lot more difficult to demonstrate that it's a result of your marketing activity. Yeah, absolutely. I also say sort of probably because it does come down to what, what are you measuring as a business? You know, are you measuring the lifetime value of your customers? Are you just measuring the new customers that are coming in or, or perhaps a combination of both? But, you know, nonetheless, the less data we have to use, the harder it is to attribute it to one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Attributing it to just marketing or just good sales or just a good experience can be very, very difficult. And it's often the combination of all of these things. But for a very long time, I think the marketing model has relied on you know, selling you a what the feeling of what a good product or a good service should give you, you know, after you buy it. Mm -hmm. And I think if the actual feeling you get from experiencing the product or the service doesn't match that, that's where a lot of the sort of dissatisfaction with customers uh, often can happen. I know it goes a little bit away from the topic that we were just talking about earlier. You know, how do you actually do all of this without data? And I do think that whether you have data or not, whether you have any knowledge of me as a customer, investing in the experience that I get with your product after you buy it is one area that you can do without knowing much about customers, I think. One of the startups I like is um, called Banner Bear. It's this guy named John Yongfuk from Singapore, and now he lives in Bali. He started a software company that automates creating visuals for e-commerce websites. And now I think he's making about $100,000 in revenue in a year. And he shares everything that he learns about marketing his product. And one of the things he likes to talk about is how investing in helping people get started with the product by providing better documentation, tutorials on the website and blogs, examples on how to use the product has been super effective in helping him grow his company as opposed to traditional forms of paid advertising or things like that. So yeah, I completely agree. It's a bit overlooked the importance of getting people onboarded properly onto your products. Yeah. And I guess the investment that goes into creating a better experience, first of all, you can control a lot of that experience because it sits often in properties that you all know. There are exceptions to that in today's world with the, the different marketplaces for example, where you don't necessarily control the entire experience, but a lot of the investment that goes into keeping your existing customers and potentially converting more customers from ones that enter your own properties already, you kind of have to think that that's quite a good use of your marketing investment, you know, from a startup perspective where budgets aren't as defined, it's actually more about how do we grow the business. So the remit of creating a better product and a better service and a better experience actually sits with multiple people in startups often. But starting there surely is a good strategy because then the marketing dollars that you put in are likely to actually convert more people, keep more people after they convert and keep them happier about using your product or service. This is almost going back to the fundamental role of marketing. And if you look at the evolution of marketing and advertising, you mentioned that it was about creating a specific type of feeling. If you buy this toothpaste or this particular detergent, you can have a warm, fuzzy feeling with your family at home because they love you a lot more. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but but it's evolved a little bit more into 
focusing on the product, especially with things like user experience or specifically with technology products. Role of marketing has been about like figuring out how to get the most out of the products. So where does advertising play a role in all of this? Why do you still need to advertise? I have an answer for this, but I'm just throwing it out there to challenge our thinking. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been of the, the opinion that us as humans, we're not particularly rational when we make our decisions. And that's true in good and bad, right? But it's also true in the way that we buy things. Something makes us buy a particular brand or a particular product when you're at the shelf or online or wh wherever you're buying it from. And there's a level of sort of subliminal you know, notions of that. It could be like the brand that your parents always used. It could be an ad you, you watched, whether you realized that or not at the time. Because if you really put products and specs and just functional reasons to buy side by side, there's a lot of products that actually don't have a lot of differentiation, really, truly, if you think about it, like mm -hmm. Nike running shoes versus Asics or Adidas or, or whatever that may be. Like At the end of the day, the functionalities are pretty similar. But I, for example, have a particular brand that I would always buy, regardless of what the specs are. And I just I just happen to really like them. And you actually mentioned something earlier as well, the um, Aviation Gin yes. brand that Ryan Reynolds launched. The commercials are incredible. Amazing. You know, they're funny. They're true to him. I guarantee you there are lots of people out there that purely buy the gin because of his involvement, which is a part of an advertising strategy. I mean, he owns the company anyway, but a spokesperson, a sponsorship has always been a part of the toolkit of marketers. And because of the commercials they make, I guarantee you it's a huge consideration there because there's a lot of gins out there. And for some reason, people choose to buy aviation gin and buy lots of it. So I, I do think there's still an, a role for advertising to create that space in people's minds of, you know, for some reason, I remember this brand, I either, you know, it was funny to me, or I really stand by the values of it, or I think in the same way as this company seems to think. And there's no better way than sort of this more emotional sort of advertising storytelling to tell that or make that connection. That's a fantastic point. And uh, when I asked the question, that's what I had in mind as well, because there are just so many products out there. I don't think there's enough true product differentiation nowadays that would warrant investing purely in product and none in advertising, in marketing. So I think it's going to be even more important to stand out from all the other competition by telling your story in a different way or positioning your product in a different light. That's going to help you standouts. Another thing I like about this aviation story is if you are not familiar with an area, let's say you are not a common gin drinker, but you, for whatever reason, you decided that you like martinis or want to try different gins, it's a lot easier to rely on advertising. It's almost like a mental shortcut to pick which gins that you would like to try. And if aviation gin ads are funnier and you've seen the ads more recently compared to any other gin brand, then you are much more likely to pick that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's a really, really awesome quote that I read probably at least 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, actually, it's from a guy called Roy H. Williams, and he runs storytelling consultancy in the US, um, helping SMEs and small businesses uh, succeed by telling better stories. And so the quote is, win the hearts of people and their minds will follow. And I just think that that's like, that's a really big sort of ode to storytelling or advertising because it, it really is true in many ways. We 
often find ways to post-rationalize some of our purchases, for example, that we may have made, been made with some sort of emotion. Is there really a reason for me to pay an extra thousand dollars for a road bike, for example, that happens to have the, the brand and the story and the color and the, the whatever that, that I want? When really, if you think about it, the specs are very similar to something else. Is there really a reason for me to buy from another company rather than the other one? I don't think it's one marketing campaign. I think it's consistency and staying true to your brand over time that's going to create the associations that you need, which isn't necessarily always the best news for startups that you know have an 18-month runway or something like that. But you do have to start from somewhere. And it's that consistent you know, storytelling that often wins in the consistency game. It reminds me of uh, MailChimp in our last episode. Ksenia talked about how she was influenced by MailChimp's copy guidelines. And as far as I know, I think it's at least 12 or maybe even 15 years old company. Yeah. And they were actually originally an agency that at one day realized they are making more money by sending email newsletters than they are making at the agency. And then they slowly evolved into becoming a software company. So when newcomers might look at MailChimp and think that, oh, a new startup, new software company in the markets, but it takes a lot of time and concentrated effort to create that story in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's change gears a little bit. What annoys you about marketing? With the uh, the risk of us falling into the same trap sometimes. <laughs> I think it's like the unnecessary buzzwords that get thrown around. I think it's that's probably the biggest thing. Give me an example or two. I think there's a lot of them depending on paradigm the times. Shifts. Yeah, depending on the times, it's like the paradigm shifts and, and, and that type of stuff. It's just like basically using a trendy or topical term without focusing on the fundamentals is one of the things that I think is really dangerous because at the end of the day, what does your company stand for? What is the story? You know, who are your customers or who are the customers you want to talk to? Those things have to be correct first before we start talking about the, the latest targeting you know, technology or the, the latest progressive way of using data or anything like that. And I think as we talk to startups and startup founders and startup marketers, it is often those fundamentals that are not necessarily there. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I want to focus on often when talking to startups is, is what are the fundamentals? How do we start there? How do we get them into play before we start talking about some of the buzzwords that are going around the industry at the moment? How about you? I think it's about declaring something dead and then trying to sell something else. I see that so many times on LinkedIn, like advertising is dead. Now it's all about social media. And then social media is dead. It's about Clubhouse. And I'm sure <laughs> soon somebody will declare Clubhouse dead and will reinvent something. I think it's, it's the marketing world's obsession with killing things and replacing it with things that are suspiciously similar to what they just killed. Yeah. There was an interesting thing that I read, which may actually help with some of the staying away from the next big thing or staying away from the buzzwords. And it's this thing called the one word pitch. If you have to explain your company in a single word, what would that be? And it's a really, really difficult exercise. Uh, super difficult. There's a couple of examples that are out there that are easy to understand. So what company comes to mind if I say search? Google. Right. So that's the obvious one, right? So there are companies out there that Google does multiple things, right? They do many, many other things, but search is what you immediately associate Google with. Mm -hmm. So if you really can boil your company's 
story or your company's essence into a single word that can really help kind of uh, with some of the narratives of what the associations that you might want to build in people's mind. And the reason I, I bring this up is if you can really simplify your story that much and really look at what the essence of your company is and try to bring that story to life somewhere, it may actually help you also uh, stay away from some of the side noise that isn't necessarily needed when you have scarce resources and not enough market budgets to focus on everything. It's a bit like extreme positioning. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, it's very, very difficult to do. But even if you can do it in three words or two words or something, you're, you're pretty close to it. And a lot of companies, it would be very difficult to boil it down to one word. But if Google can do it being as complicated as they are as a business these days, I think every company could. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. We'd love to get any feedback, questions, or topic suggestions you may have. Drop us a line at hello at strategyandsourdough.com.